0: This is Set Aside Some Time, an MSPN podcast, and it's brought to you by the National MSP Network, or MSPN for short. And now, on to the episode. Thank you for setting aside some time for us today. I am your host for today's podcast, Bridget Smith, and joining me today is Annie Davidson. Annie is the senior MSP Compliance Counsel and Policy Strategist at ExamWorks Compliance Solutions, as she focuses her work on MSP compliance in liability, no fault, and workers' compensation insurance matters. And she is also the co-chair of the MSP Network Policy and Legislative Committee and was recently elected to the Board of Directors. So congratulations, Amy, and welcome to today's podcast. Thanks, Bridget. Happy to be here. Great. So we're going to dive right into it, Annie. Um, I know you serve as the liaison uh, with uh, Mark and with uh, MSP Network, kind of melding those two organizations and letting one know what the other's doing and what have you. So, could you talk a little bit about your role and, and what that looks like?
1: Absolutely, happy to. Um, I wanted to just kind of, as we get started here, talk a little bit about what Mark even stands for. For those who may not be familiar, um, Mark is the Medicare Advocacy Recovery Coalition, and it's a network of member members who uh, are primary payers. So those are insurance companies, self-insureds, and the Mark Coalition has been successful in passing, uh, the smart act and most recently the paid act. So this has been a very active group. Um, and they work with, uh, King and Spalding, David Farber at King and Spalding in Washington, DC. So that's a little bit just in general about the, uh, the MARC Coalition. Their website is markcoalition.com if you want to check more of that out. But in terms of kind of the role between MSPN and MARC, last year MSPN in in 2021 became a member of the MARC Coalition. So there's a few of us who are liaisons to the MARC Coalition, and we attend the regularly scheduled meetings, and then we attend Um, special meetings that are set up separate with CMS, and then there are committee meetings. So depending on what CMS is doing in any given year and what the concerns are within the overall industry, uh, we will set up ad hoc committees and meet and and talk about those issues. Um, The MARC Coalition, you know, pre-pandemic, We used to go and take the hill and spend time actually lobbying legislators on you know, the paid act or prior iterations of that, and certainly the smart act as well. So, there is a lobbying component uh, in, involved as well. So, the MSPN is really getting the benefit of all of those actions in terms of more Capitol Hill work um, by being a member. And, MSPN, you know, for those who've been around for a while within MSPN and its predecessor, NAMSAP, you'll recall. That um, NAMSAP used to do some take-the-hill stuff um, as well, and so that's really sort of um, died down. And so this is a good way for MSPN to be involved still in all aspects of Medicare secondary payer secondary payer compliance and what's going on in the industry. So that's a little bit about that relationship.
0: Thank you, Annie. That's that. That was great, and. Right now, in 2022, I know you mentioned the PAID Act and the SMART Act, and those were obviously um, big pieces of legislation that have have really uh, made a difference in MSP compliance. What about 2022? What what is Mark involved in in 2022?
1: Sure. Great question. I connected with David Farber here recently, and uh, I kind of put together the main topics that Mark will be focusing on. And, uh, I think the, the, Bulk of our time today on this podcast will be spent on some recent alerts that came up um, from CMS late in 2021. So I'll get to that. But before I do, um, I just wanted to note, you know, here's some of what David shared with me the other day. I think, you know, it's a given that there are going to potentially be other regulatory issues that come up. So that's my caveat, right? That's um fun. CMS likes to keep us on our toes. And so if there are other regulatory issues that come up, let's say reform around ongoing responsibility for medicals or ORM, um, the organization will pivot as will you know, MSPN, right. We will all kind of focus where we need to be. And the policy and legislative committee that I chair, uh, will certainly take that up. And then the, um, the conditional payment in Section 111 group as well, that committee will take up some of these issues. Um, we do know that liability MSAs could be coming down the pike. Of course, you know, I'm not chicken little saying the sky is falling um, because we've had that note for years and years and years now. But CMS did update their date for possible, you know, future medical uh funding changes and and stuff like that um late in 2021 and they're of course referring to you know having something to us in Q1 or Q2 of 2022. So, you know, certainly liability, the liability committee at uh, MSPN would, you know, be moving at a fast and furious pace if that happens. And the MARC coalition also has a liability committee um, that's been very successful in the past in having conversations with CMS about, you know, frankly, urging them not to do liability MSAs, Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, more on that, of course, if that comes up this year, we're also still expecting a final penalty rule for civil money penalties as it relates to section 111 reporting. So if we get that final rule, there will certainly be a flurry of activity around that. All signs point to that probably coming down in some, sometime in 2022. So if, if any of those things happen uh, and anything else that sort of comes up out of the blue, certainly Mark will act on them as they emerge, as will MSPN. Um, outside of kind of that caveat, one area that Mark will work on is Treasury, Mark does have a treasury committee, and we note that there are significant longstanding issues with conditional payment recovery cases, um, being sent prematurely to treasury for offset and, uh, We also see that there's just, you know, a failure at CMS to properly identify the claims and and process for recoveries. So this is an issue that Mark has been working on for several years. And several years ago, they did drive some some improvements there. Uh, But we've seen both CMS and Treasury kind of backtrack on those. We've seen just kind of... um, a lackadaisical approach um, because we haven't been holding their their feet to the fire. So the plan is to continue the engagement there and to really fix the problematic part or parts of that program. Uh, So that's something that folks should know about. If you have treasury issues, uh, you can certainly bring those up to my committee or to the um, conditional payment committee. I think there is definitely room for improvement there and digging into the Code of Federal regulations on that. Um, I have certainly beefed up uh, our appeals over here uh, at my organization to make sure that we are doing everything we can in using those tools in our toolbox to really you know, bat back the actions of the recovery contractors. I think the recovery contractors have been really overzealous, particularly the commercial repayment center in sending over debts you know, where maybe we all know that the grouper or the algorithm that the recovery contractors use, that algorithm is not great. And so we see upwards of 90% of the uh, dates of service listed in a conditional payment recovery letter are actually not related to the claim. And, uh, you know, even if somebody misses a deadline on that, If all or 90% of the the, uh, recovery action really isn't related to the claim, I don't think then that the agency has the right to even be sending that over to Treasury because yes, maybe somebody missed a deadline, but one of the prongs for sending something to Treasury is that it has to be a legally enforceable debt. And I think there's a problem there when you have a, a primary payer who's in fact not the primary payer because those charges are unrelated.
0: So Annie, with respect to that then, so, so Mark is going to continue to work on um, talking to CMS and, and working with uh, CMS through Treasury to, to kind of halt the process from, from being so expedited to them. Is that right? That's the plan. Yep.
1: Okay, uh, Mm-hmm. And then I think um, the, the sort of last kind of big focus, um, and this is kind of the most urgent focus for the MARC coalition right now, is what I alluded to at the beginning um, of the conversation, which is the Section 111 reporting and compliance. You know, CMS has continued to update the Section 111 user guide, and they've been issuing alerts which are of concern. So uh, the Mark coalition is actively engaging with CMS on these issues right now uh, to sort of, you know, make sure that this process truly is the Section 111 process truly is for all stakeholders. Um, and there aren't any sort of gotchas in there because it sort of seems like there might be. Uh, so one of the things, uh, so, so there's really two things going on there. There's two alerts that came out. Um, we had the December 20th uh, user guide update, right? But prior to that, we had two alerts uh, on October 26th, CMS, October 26, 2021. CMS released a new Section 111 alert. Regarding the reporting of, you know, air quotes I put here, uh, policy limits. And they, you know, we colloquially refer to that as the policy limit alert. But that alert indicates that the policy limit reported by a responsible reporting entity, so a carrier, a self insured primary payer, what have you, that that policy limit should reflect the actual amount the RRE has accepted responsibility for at the time the record is submitted or updated. And then in situations where the record needs to be corrected to reflect a different policy limit, it indicates that the RRE should update that record as quickly as possible. So that's one of them. And then a week later, on November 3rd, 2021, CMS went ahead and released a Section 111 alert regarding reporting of, quote, funding delayed beyond TPOC start date, end quote. So for those of you familiar with the uh, user guide, um, we've always sort of had a little note in there about funding delayed beyond TPOC start date. And so, you know, they're tweaking that a little bit. CMS said, you know, oh, they've issued these alerts as just a reminder. But in that TPOC alert, they said that, you know, we want you to know if funding is delayed after the settlement date, uh, which is reported in field 80, for those of you who are section 111 gurus, um, that's the TPOC date field. In the claim input file detail record, and it says RRE should provide the actual or estimated date of the funding determination in field 82, uh, which is that funding delayed beyond TPOC start date. So I think, Bridget, as we were kind of preparing for this uh, this podcast, you and I were just chatting a little bit about that. And I don't know if you want to say just kind of generally what you said to me, that it sort of seems like they've muddied the waters here a little bit with these alerts.
0: Well, I think um, you know CMS is trying to to really breach those situations uh, that you know there isn't going to be a direct um, payment after after settlement, and that it it is more of a gap. And I understand why, in that they want to make sure that everything's final and that they're continuing to address whether there's uh, conditional payments that were made. But I think there there is some confusion on on that because in normally normally in um, different jurisdictions you're usually paying that settlement within 30 days after after signed or after approval from the court so you're probably not going to have this this issue but I think you know before we we got the direction from CMS of you know the TPOC date is you know date of court order versus Date of settlement uh, execution versus date of payment, depending on what jurisdiction and what you're doing, and then the funding beyond TPOC date. Um, now we got that that 30 day explanation of if it's 30 days or more beyond uh, the time frame of, of of TPOC, that you should use that that field. So I think some additional clarification would definitely be helpful, and I, I'm glad that Mark is. And I know MSP Network as well, um, but these organizations are addressing that with CMS. So, Any, how are how are they going about that? Yeah, great question. Uh, so, by the time that this podcast
1: airs, uh, we're recording this a little bit early. Um, there will have been a meeting between the Mark Coalition and CMS. That meeting is occurring on Monday, January 10th. So that will be with Steve Forey and Jackie Sippa um, and some other folks over at CMS, particularly the Section 111 folks. And the plan there is really to sort of talk to CMS about these, you know, clarifications because, Mark members and MSPN members have really raised concerns whether these two alerts will be creating increased Section 111 penalty risks, um, particularly given the new off-cycle report- reporting update requirements. Um, that's really kind of a new introduction here. And I, I, you know, for those of us who consult and our vendors in this field and do section 111 reporting, you know, I work with various clients and, and certainly while a lot of vendors have the ability to do an off cycle report, it's not always the case that our clients do or that our clients are interested in doing that. And so they really want to be addressing in that January 10th meeting um, what's going on here, because I think what we've seen over the last year and a half or so is Medicare, you know, issuing these alerts and sort of making clarifications that may actually be tweaks um, to really prepare for civil money penalties. And so we want to be really keyed in to those changes um, so when I reference the December 20th user guide update, um, <clears throat> there are also a number of technical changes in there that are kind of giving additional clarity, supposedly, to these alerts. Um, so that's really what we're going to want to focus on uh, as well, because that uh, the, the user guide itself, as it relates to the TPOC alert, the user guide states that timeliness of MMSEA. So that's your, just your section 111 reporting for a particular Medicare beneficiary will be based upon the latter of the TPOC date and the funding delayed beyond TPOC start date. Uh, so in a change from the alert, however, that new user guide that came out, happens to change the definition of funding delayed beyond TPOC start date. And this is kind of what you are getting at a little bit, Bridget, right? Is this whole, there used to be this actual or estimated funding date, and that's referenced in the alert. But now the user guide says to to the date when the TPOC was funded or dispersed. Um, So what's that about? And then, of course, as you also indicated, the user guide also incorporated a 30-day time frame, meaning that the funding delayed beyond TPOC start date must, ne- must be reported for settlements paid 30 days or more after the agreement is signed. Um, but it's not clear how that 30-day requirement aligns with the quarterly reporting cycle, right? Because that's what everybody does. You do your queries to find out if people are Medicare beneficiaries typically once a month. And then everybody's on a quarterly reporting cycle, so how does this square? Um, that's going to be one of the things that that's discussed on January 10th. Um, so obviously, this is airing after that. If you have questions about, you know, how that meeting went, I encourage you to attend the uh, the uh, policy and legislative committee meeting for MSPN or the. Uh, conditional payment section 111 group meetings uh because this will be discussed at that i will actually be attending the january 10th meeting and as the liaison and you know certainly getting updates to those committees so that folks know what's going on and i think uh there may even be a liaison on the call from the uh section 111 committee so you know stay tuned because we need really some clarification around that right uh, the user guide Uh, change related to that policy limit alert. Um, It now, you know, narrows the scope of some of the guidance to, quote, some states. (laughs) The user guide now indicates the following. It says, in some states, depending on various factors associated with the incident being reported, no fault policy limits may vary. The reported policy limit should reflect the amount the RRE has accepted responsibility for at the time the record is submitted and updated. Just as importantly, if the Section 111 record needs to be corrected to reflect a new policy limit, the RRE should update the record as soon as possible. So this reference to some states we think may be intended to address Florida PIP coverage limits, that's personal injury protection coverage limits, um, that sort of had come to the uh, MARC Coalition's attention from a member, and I think some MSPN members have been talking about that as well. Uh, so it seems like there may have been a, a change made specific to at least one state. Um But then there's also these, you know, we want to find out more about that. And then there's these technical adjustments. There's now a compliance flag, which will now be returned if the TPOC date or funding delayed beyond TPOC start date is more than 135 days older than the file receipt date. CMS also notes that no fault insurance limit, which is now field 61, is a field where any change to the previously reported value will require an update. So these are some pretty significant changes outlined in the user guide that I think the agency just sort of thinks, oh, these are clarifications, uh, not necessarily tweaks. And what goes along with that? What's the agency thinking about? Have they thought about the impact of that? And if they have, you know, are these sort of breadcrumbs on that trail to what we can expect? In the final rule for civil money penalties,
0: yeah, it's so, certainly an yeah. interesting, interesting combination of things, and and CMS has been, as you said, very active this year with um, with the alerts and the town halls and um, the one, you know, I think the great thing is that the line of communication between MSP network and CMS, and also between Mark and CMS, because it really it's such important insight for our members who are doing this day by day and, and really wanna understand those technical and substantive requirements. So we're looking forward to, to getting that, um, that feedback from you. Um, well, like you said, once this airs, uh, that call will have already taken place, but getting that feedback on what CMS has said, and, and perhaps that might also lead to another town hall from CMS uh, you don't know, but it's good that that communication is open and that that Mark and MSP network are um, are really focusing on providing that uh, clarification for for their members. Absolutely. So, Annie, is there anything else that that you want to share with us? Um, or I guess, how can can members uh, get involved with the policy and legislative committee and perhaps get you know, uh, get to work with some of the the mark issues as well. Great question.
1: Yeah, we're always looking for new members. I mean, I think every committee at MSN is looking for new members. So if you um, are so inclined and you are interested in joining the podcast committee, we'd love to have you. Um, and my committee, the Policy and Legislative Committee. We meet on a monthly basis, and I believe it's the third Tuesday of the month um, from two o'clock central time to three o'clock central time. And uh, we are always happy to have new members. We focus, of course, on CMS policies and uh, what's going on in the legislature and what impact that may have with respect to Medicare secondary dairy payer compliance. So we're always digging around. In the Code of Federal Regulations, we're digging around at 42 U.S.C. 1395 YB. That's our best friend. Um, <laughs> and we're keeping a track on what's going on in Washington. And then um, the, the other committee that sort of is directly implicated in this is the Conditional Payment Committee. Uh, they do conditional payments and Section 111 reporting. And they tend to deal kind of more day to day with issues that are coming up. Um, that members are having and also engage in conversations with CMS directly around those issues. Um, And I believe they meet uh, on a Wednesday um, once a month. And so I encourage you to reach out to um, MSPN. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to Bridget. Um, You can reach out to really any one of us members and we can get you the specific meeting information and hook you up with um, the right folks to get you the invites you need. Um, almost, I, well, all of the meetings occur via Zoom these days. Um, so it's really easy to get plugged in and involved. And we certainly recommend, or, you know, we recommend you do it. And it's been a really gratifying uh, way for me to be involved as well. So um, I'm, I'm sure you can speak to that too, Bridget. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a really great place to be.
0: It definitely is. And Annie, thank you for all of this great information. I know our members will really uh, be interested in the results of uh, those conversations with CMS and and Mark's effort, as well as the MSP network um, efforts. And we would just really appreciate your time. So thank you for setting aside some time today to talk with us. And um, thank you to our audience for also setting aside some time to listen to this podcast. Our next episode is going to discuss social security disability application. Um, And that's a very interesting topic because there's a lot of issues with social security and Medicare um, and how those intertwine. uh, And it's very interesting. Uh, It's going to be a very interesting podcast. So please um, log on to that if you can. And Annie, thank you again for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, everyone.